Ah, greetings. Care for a story? One of heroes and villains? Of swords and sorcery? Of romance and treachery? We'll pull up a chair and have a listen. Hi, and welcome to the RPG Show. My name's Brent. I'm your host. With me today on the show, we rate, review, and talk about RPGs. I have uh, two menacing monsters of mediocrity. First is Nick, spiky-haired Gantner. How you doing, buddy? Love you too, man. <laughs> and then we have uh, the lovely, the talented Brittany. Hey, Tifa just called Barrett a retard Cornell. How you doing? That's offensive. I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> yeah, well, that is offensive. Uh, so, today, we are talking uh, Final Fantasy VII, you guys. This is going to be this be a big, thick one, if you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. Good, good, good. I'm trying uh, to avoid knowing what you're saying. Well, um, Final Fantasy VII, I don't think it requires a lot of introduction, but it was released, uh, let me pull up the other thing, in 1997 by... At the time, Squaresoft, now we know is the tragedy that is Square Enix, um, for the PlayStation. Originally slated to be released on the N64, um, but it would just be too cost um, ineffective to produce such a large game on cartridges. Um, making, Probably for the better. Making Sony transit, uh, not Sony, fucking Squaresoft transition from. Uh, Traditionally producing Nintendo titles to produ- uh, producing titles for Sony and PlayStation. So, yeah. I mean, I don't really... How about we go around the table and talk about, uh, real quick, our uh, our meet-cute, if you will, like our first experience with Final Fantasy VII. Nick, why don't you go first? Um, I think I may have spoken about it already, but I got Final Fantasy VII when I was a kid on release. Uh, like I literally had a birthday slumber party type deal that day, uh, spent the first eight hours playing the game over and over again because everybody wanted to start over on the file and name them really offensive names. Um, one of the kids that was over got tired of this and he wanted to watch Little Mermaid or something like that. And we told him no and called them all kinds of offensive names and he went home uh, and then I kind of played it by myself for a while. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that was my first experience with Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Brittany, what about you? What was your first experience with Final Fantasy VII? Well, here's a, oh my god, gasp moment. I didn't start with Final Fantasy VII. I started with eight, And <sighs> I, this, this playthrough was my first playthrough of Final Fantasy VII. And I've always known bits and pieces of the story, but uh, until now, until a couple months ago, I hadn't touched it. Man, that's that's uh that's very unfortunate. We'll have to ask you uh sort of your thoughts on uh 
it, I guess, well, we'll get, we'll do the overall experience. Yeah, we'll do the overall experience. Then I guess I'll ask you how you think it ranks compared to um, the Ocho. So, uh, mine first experience, I know I've said it multiple times on the show, uh, had a cousin that was into video games. My parents weren't big on buying me uh, expensive stuff like that. We just didn't have the money. So, I got to play a lot at their house, um, and he had Final Fantasy Seven. I wasn't allowed to use a memory card, though, so I played the first, like, the Midgar section probably, like, 20 times before I actually made it out of Midgar um, when I was allowed to, you know, buy a memory card and use it. So, yeah, that's my intro experience into Final Fantasy VII. I've probably beat it every couple years since, so uh, my combined total hours in this game is probably absurd, and I would, I'm glad there's no Slash played for console games. <sighs> so, um... Anybody new here? Because, I mean, it is Final Fantasy VII, so you've stumbled upon us searching for Final Fantasy VII goodies. You're in for a treat, but maybe not really. We might not be your thing. Who knows? Um, We break this down into gameplay, story, visuals, music, overall experience, and replayability. So, first up is gameplay. Now, this game is a... um, it's, I want to say it's almost like a step up from like a traditional like turn-based um, JRPG because it is you know active time battle. Um, you can set it to wait and make it more traditional, but uh, it is active time battle. There are um, is the magic system is pretty cool. Why don't you explain the magic system to everybody, Nick? Okay. Uh, so in every other, well, I think almost every other Final Fantasy up to this point. The abilities and talents a character possessed were static to that character, and they each represented a specific archetype. For this particular game, the way that that all works is that every character um, has their own special ultimate uh, ability, like the limit breaks, um, and that kind of defines them as a character. Uh, But each piece of equipment, whether that's a weapon or a piece of armor you get, uh, will pe- possess a variable amount of slots, and they can be linked, they can be unlinked, they can have uh, no growth, and they can have double growth or triple growth. Uh, so what this means is um, any ability you find is going to be represented by a item called a materia, and each materia will possess different colors depending on what type it is, whether it's uh, like support, uh, modifying, magic, a summon, um, or like physically based, I guess I would say. Um, so what happens is you take any combination of these material and you put them into the available slots and that will give you the, that will give the character the abilities that you want. Uh, if you want a character to have all magic, you just shove a bunch of magic material on them. If you want them to be a support specialist, you just shove all kinds of supporting subcommands on there, like steel, mug, uh, cut, all cut, or whatever the hell you want to do. Uh, if you want them to summon a bunch of crap. So summon material on there, or if you want everybody to kind of have their like a mixed bag, like a jack of all trades, you can do that too. Um, and each material will modify your character's stats uh, a certain amount more towards what you are aiming for them to be. So if you stack a bunch of magic material on them, they'll lose a bunch of their max HP, but they'll gain a bunch of max MP. And same thing for strength and magic and spirit and vitality, which are your defensive and offensive stats. Um, I think that about covers it, right? Yep, in uh, each, like you said, the weapon can have normal growth, triple growth, no growth, and what that means is these materia, they level up. Most of them have anywhere from, 
you know, most of them have around five levels to them, five to six levels to them. And as they level up, so let's, let's say you have a green materia fire, so it unlocks a fire spell. Um, you get a certain number of AP from battling, it levels up to level two. Now you have access to the fire two spell, fire three spell. Um, then there's, uh, I think this, that one only has, oh boy, that's great. Okay, back in the action. Um, that was weird. <laughs> yes, there was, uh, and then then it masters. When you completely max out the levels on a materia, it becomes mastered. It produces another one at level one, and it goes towards your mastered collection. You still have access to that master collection, but in the towards the end of the game, after you've unlocked the huge materia, um, you can trade in full sets. So if you have every green materia mastered, you can get a master materia, which will take up one slot, but will give you all of the spells um, accessible by green materia without modifying your stats. So um, that's a pretty cool thing. It can be a bit overwhelming at first, I think, to some people. I think ultimately for me, the design is is sort of elegant and I like how you can customize your characters um, to really be whatever you want. So, I mean, you could make Barrett your black mage or your white mage or whatever your traditional... Um, um, then have... Yeah, so, I mean, anybody can be anything, but, uh, like I said, it can be overwhelming at first. Brittany, would you, how did you feel about, uh, the materia system and using it? Was it, was it self-explanatory? Was it a little complicated? How did you feel about it as a first-timer? Um, I felt like it was a little complicated for me just because I'm so used to the straightforward, um, aspect of magic and everything. Um, I, once I played it for a while, I kind of got the feel for it, but... I still don't. I still don't know if I paired everything correctly. And okay, because I mean, there's a lot of comboing you can do with materia. So, like uh, Nick said, there there are linked um, slots, right? So uh, there you can pair it with a blue material or support material to make it do additional things. So let's say you have fire, you pair it with an all in one slot. So that means that fire spell now has, it can target all targets. Then in the next slot, you pair an equally leveled fire uh, materia with a, another support, say, um, quadra magic. That'll allow you to cast fire on all your targets four times, one cast for one, one costing of the mana. So, um, it is, it is very easy to sort of combo and trick out your characters based on um, these materia. So um, moving on from materia, the next level of uh, skills, you have limit breaks. They're sort of like, uh, what do they call them in Final Fantasy VI? They call them limit breaks, but uh, like they're called, I want to say like desperations or something like that, where your character is low on health or they get, took a big hit and they have a rare chance of using this special... Um, character specific ability and um, you know unleashing a mad amount of damage now each character with the exception of one has four tiers um, two limit breaks in each tier with the ex- with ex- except for the f- last tier the fourth tier so a total of seven limit breaks to use the exception being Kate Seth who only has two limit breaks um, you unlock those by killing people and using limit breaks to progress through that system. Um, but that's sort of where your character power comes from. You sort of modify them with weapons, armor, accessories, um, that kind of thing. Anything you'd like to add about limit breaks or materia, Nick? Um, only that 
I would have liked Limit Breaks more if it was less of a like a split based system where you have have to use them or kill enemies and they don't give you the counter for that. Like if they gave you some kind of display like hey you've got like twenty enemies left or something, like great. Because then you won't have to just like sit there and grind and grind and grind for them, um, or just have it all like based on use. Like use the previous one x amount of times, get the next one. Uh, but it's mostly just a personal nitpick. Nothing too bad against the system. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it is. Uh, I like it. My problem with the limit break system is I wish there were more useful utility limits because Eris is chocked full of utility limits. But once she's gone. You really don't have any with the exception of like a couple on like red 13. Most of them are like, do they damage all the enemies? Do they damage one enemy? Do they do multiple strikes? Or do they do one strike? Um, with the do they just of, remove the enemy from the battle? Yeah. With more of them being ended up like the most powerful ones end up being the ones that can deliver many, many strikes because that allows you to break the damage limit threshold of 9,999 by doing it multiple times in one hit. So, but I do wish there was more variety in in the limit break selection. Um, so my next question is the game speed. Now, playing it be, as a younger person, uh, I thought the game speed was just fine. You could turn it up in the settings to make it faster, such so on and so forth. But this time, I found it incredibly slow. Um, what did you find it slow, Nick? Uh, what, just like the overworld and everything? Yeah, well, just gameplay in general. Combat, moving around, just everything. Um, no, it felt okay. Okay. Like, honestly, though, with a triple speed, everything's going to feel slow now. Fair. So, Fair. that's kind of that. Well, we did play the PS4 port of the PC port, which allows you to play um, it at triple speed. Now, um, even... Just a lot of, I felt like, uh, just the game, I want to say progressed very slow. Just a lot of things felt slower than they used to seem. It may be because my, like, I've, I'm becoming increasingly impatient as I get older. So, um, how did you feel about the speed of the game, Brittany? I felt like it was fine. Um, since it was my first time playing it, everything was new and I, you know, I hadn't seen it a thousand times. So I felt like the speed of it was fine. I didn't have any problem with it. Okay. That's fair. I wanted to take my time and see everything, so... Yeah, there is a lot to see. A lot to see in this game. It's a big game. Um, and... I also feel like it's an inc- like its biggest fault, at least for me, as far as gameplay goes, is that it is so easy. This game is incredibly easy, with the exception of the two special bosses that were put in for North American audiences. Um, the I, Just the main game is so easy. Um, I would w- I would actually say that it's easy if you already know what you're doing because mm-hmm. there are plenty of times where you could kind of just stumble into an encounter that you're not prepared for and get your ass just smashed against the wall. But um, I'm gonna at- I'm gonna debate you on that because that happened to me and I didn't have any difficulty. There's lots of things that I didn't even collect in the game and I I had no problem. The only boss that I had any difficulty with was Sephiroth. Well, that's because they fixed this version of the game. Yes. In previous versions of this game, magic defense didn't work. So there was plenty of times where if you had if you weren't ready for it, you could get your ass beat. Oh yeah, Brent did tell me about that. Yeah, so I mean, um if we take into consideration the original broken version, then yes, I remember it being a little bit more difficult 
but that was only really for bosses that were heavy into magical damage like you said because now you know that you've t- that i know that the they fixed the magical defense issue it makes sense why the game felt easier like bosses i remember being hard that i went into being like all right time to like you know nut up or shut up and then just kind of walking over them it were bosses that were mostly magic damage and i was able to i guess you know magic defense woohoo so uh yeah i still feel like it's really easy like uh there is a for the steam version of the game there is a uh, mod out there that does like a bunch of graphical updates to it but more importantly for me it makes supposedly makes the game harder makes the battles um like each battle like you don't run into random battles as much each one counts for more and i'm really interested to try that i mean it is uh you know, a, a third party mod. So who knows where the balance really lies, but I mean, it, I would appreciate more of a challenge out of it. Um, now, like, uh, if there was like a new game plus that was incredibly difficult, like I really think this game could use a new game plus. Could you imagine starting over with all your materia and stuff? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, I guess <laughs> I'm uh. not really as hyped for that as you are. Because you'd just be playing through the story. you just have a bunch of shit. I know. I'm just murderizing everything. That would be great. That'd be boring for me. I like I like the idea of going through and collecting things. Okay. All right. Um, I suppose if on the New Game Plus they raised the enemy's stats appropriately, and because presumably you'd be max level anyway, uh, you weren't getting any experience, so it would become more of a evolving yourself and your strategies around the things you're going to face as opposed Ooh. to just getting stronger so that you can surpass the Yeah, the, that would be interesting. Plateau. And again, I feel like that would be fantastic if you've played it before. Yeah, that's what a new game plus is. I mean, you have to beat it once in order to play a new game plus. Oh, so, I mean, yeah. so technically you would have played it before. So, uh, I mean, also, there are a ton of missable items, a ton of like things you can just flat out miss. There are two um, optional characters, and also there is an absurd number of mini games. Some of which are um, completely mundane and never show up again. I'm looking at you, CPR mini game. Um, that I it sometimes it feels kind of like maybe it distracts from the what you're doing at the moment, but not enough so that you know it, it really throws me for a loop i mean there are moments where like i said uh like the first time you play g-bike you know when they throw you on that that's amazing but then you know waiting for cloud to take 12 breaths to try and resuscitate this little drowned girl not so much would you say you're in agreement with that i'd say definitely that the uh the mini games are hit or miss um like though, the CPR thing, it could have been done differently if they just didn't do a mini game. Like just have you like tap rhythmically or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but like it was completely unnecessary, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or they could have had somebody else in Saber Life. Like you don't need Cloud to somehow know how to do CPR. Yeah, I don't feel like that that rendered a a, a mini game. It should have just been a moment. Yeah, I feel like that's appropriate. Um, so I'll go around the table and we'll talk about what did and didn't work for us in the gameplay. We'll start with Brittany. What things didn't you like about the gameplay in the game? Um, we'll come back around to you. <laughs> Nick, uh, what didn't, 
didn't work for you in gameplay? What, what didn't work? What didn't um, work? The... I guess the nature of ATB itself doesn't really... It's not my favorite battle system. Uh, I'm more of a take your time, think about your actions, then do them kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I know that's an option in the settings, but then if you change the settings, you're not actually doing the game justice by playing it the way it was meant to be played. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that some of the like material works, I guess, bothers me, where you don't get enough like, cause in other games, you can have characters with like almost, almost like a hundred abilities. You can choose what you want, do what you want with them. Whereas in this, uh, without getting the master material, then you're kind of limited in what you can do. Okay. Um, and it kind of takes forever to get to that point. Um, and I also find the lack of archetypes distracting. Uh, okay. Because it's, they might as well just have given you three characters. Instead of a party of characters, because mm-hmm. they all are functionally the same. Yeah. Uh, except for that, three of the characters have long range weapons. You can keep them in the back row. Mm-hmm. Whoop de doo. Um, yeah, I guess that's really my biggest negatives. Besides the limit break thing I already talked about. Uh, but the positives, I would say, are that. We'll get to positives um, in a second. Let's finish really? the negatives. <laughs> Let's, I'll, get, okay. I'll let you get there. Um, what for me didn't work, I would say, is I think. Um, they had interface problems where there are a lot of times there are effects on weapons and armor that aren't portrayed in the status screen when you go to equip them. Um, like there's no way to know that Barrett's uh, ultimate weapon increases attack power based on the combined AP of the material equipped on it that uh, like Red 13's final uh, weapon increases based on his total, uh, his max H uh, MP um, then it's like Yuffie's increases based on the uh, level of your opponent. Uh, there are certain armors that add things like spirit and vitality that aren't listed when you go to equip it. Um, so there's things like that that are easily missed unless you know that they're there. Uh, I do feel like uh, I don't necessarily agree on the... Uh, Materia front, I think there's plenty of material, especially if you're picking up everything as you can. Uh, I do think that the accessories are kind of sparse. Like, you end up with a lot of just garbage accessories with only a handful being remotely useful, and you never have enough of those. Um, and I can agree on the fact that if each character is a blank slate, with the exception of, you know, set dressing, you, like... Uh, do you like big boobs or dog porn? I mean, what you know, choose your flavor. Aside from that, the the typical um, job structure from Final Fantasy games is missing. So why have so many characters? Um, I think it 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 works well in story beats, which we'll get to soon. But as far as mechanically, it is kind of a moot point. Even though some of them do have sort of nat- natively better stats that lend to a thing, but it's not nearly enough. To make a difference because of how much um, the statuses are being affected based on the material you equip. Um, how about you, Brittany? What do you? What didn't work for you? Um, I I feel like there was. I'm trying to form my thought. <laughs> okay, like what do you? What, uh, 
I agree with Nick on the the turn base. I like to take my time to okay. make my attacks, and with the time, with the enemies attacking, it's 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 very fast. I get you. I mean, it can be a little overwhelming if you're trying to find the layout or the spell and where it is in the interface. Yeah, I also don't like how it's so, so spaced out. I wish there wasn't the space in between. It just kind of listed it as you got them okay. instead of having the empty spaces for it. Now, you can go into the settings and customize how it orders spells in that magic screen, but you can't go in and say, I want this spell here, I want this spell here. You can prioritize it to have healing spells first or damaging spells, that kind of stuff. You can do, you can do that, but it's not... Um, I know what you mean. It would be better if you could set what was in each slot. Right. And I also feel like, um, while I'm sure there are uses for all of the materia, I felt like I had, I didn't even, I didn't even collect half of the materia and I feel like I had a lot that I didn't touch at all. Okay. That, that works. All right. So let's bring it back around to, uh, Burai, Nikolai, tell me what worked for you in gameplay. Um... What worked was the <laughs> well. It's, it's like it's just it's an R, it's like an RPG. So okay. it's got a turn-based battle system, which works great for me. It's my favorite type of battle system. Um, I liked that the overworld was proportional to I guess how it would be uh, to an extent, like how it would, like would really be like to size scaling, I guess. Um, where there's like a fair distance between like the towns and the dungeons and whatever you're getting to, and then you get the airship, and you can explore the whole world. And that was kind of like my first time with that kind of experience, where it actually functioned like a world would. It, it wasn't just like flat plane that kind of looped on itself. Um, I always liked that. I liked the multitude of secrets and extra things to do, uh, because that always. Some people look at it as padding gameplay length, but I think of it as adding uh, just extra things for you to do in the game, uh, like earning the gold chocobo, finding the some of the best materia, stuff like that. Um, and I liked the... While I, dis- I don't like the way that they worked the characters in battle, uh, I liked the way that they functioned as characters and their impact on the game- gameplay that way, where... Uh, like I would have preferred them actually being their own like archetypes, um, but having them move around and being able to move the material around and everything like that when they're not even in your party was a nice feature. So, yeah. Okay. Um, as a person that had never played this game before, what things did you really enjoy about um, this game? You know, in comparison to other games you played, what really stood out in the gameplay that you really enjoyed, Brittany? Um, the storyline was fantastic, um, first that, and foremost. That's that's story though. We're talking about that in a second. We're talking about just the pure game play of this, the game. Um, I mean, I like that each character was pretty dynamic. There wasn't really, you know, super static characters. Um, they could all do pretty much anything. Okay. Okay. Um, exploration was good. Okay. I. All right. Um, well, for me, I, I really I'm with Nick on. I enjoy that there's just so much extra stuff to do. Um, I think the the padding gameplay argument is valid, except for not in cases like this. Like I think it's padding gameplay is egregious when it's just super like 
uh, grindy extra stuff or uh, like if it's uh, I don't know how to explain it where it's it, interfering with the gameplay progress yeah where is this you some some things are super grindy but the reward at the end of it is so it's so, proportional to the effort put yeah in. exactly so you know uh, I was in because uh, I want to do everything extra in this game in this playthrough and um, that meant I had to get Eris final limit break before stuff happened and I that I also wanted to get Wu-Tai out of the way as soon as that opened up so I uh, I was level 50 something going into disc 2 so I was just so far ahead of the curve simply by doing this extra stuff now I don't know if that speaks uh, good for everybody but I enjoy that like if, if you give me extra stuff to do and I do it as soon as you give it to me even if it is a bit harder but I'm rewarded with all a ton of extra experience extra materia you know good weapons I, I kind of enjoy that uh, more so than you know waiting till the end to do everything so I mean um, the chocobo breeding while frustrating is extremely rewarding in, in terms of you know materia like uh, Quadra Magic and Knights of the Round, then you know, uh, just you can go to the Gold Saucer anytime you want and play mini games. So there's just so much extra stuff to do. I really enjoy that. I, I really think the battle is fluid. I really uh, enjoy just how the battle works. Like, there's so much in that, and I guess there's a certain level of nostalgia to it for me, but you can ask Brittany. There are times I'm just sitting downstairs playing the game. I'm like, I just fucking love this game. I just, I just fucking love it. Yeah. Like, uh, and all I, I'm, I'd be, I was staying outside ancient temple grinding, and I'm just like, this is, I love, fucking love this game. So and he's uh, always in a great mood when he's playing it too. So uh, yeah, you ever need money? You know, ask me while I'm playing Final Fantasy VII. So uh, no, I mean that sort of stuff works for me. I think the material system is is robust and uh, allows for a lot of cool combos and and stuff like that. So now comes the part where we break it down. And give it a score, one through five. Gameplay, what are you going to give it, Nick? Um, I'll give it a five. Okay. So despite the faults I have with it, it's more of a a nitpicking because the, everything that the game does, it does well, and everything works well. Um, you can adapt to the quickened battle system, or like I said, you change it in the options and turn it back and set it how you want. So there is that level of customizability. And the material system, while I've got the issues with it not actually being part of a character's innate repertoire, um, it does allow eventually um, just so much uh, customization and stuff like that that it actually is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it would be better if you had more earlier. Like the fact that the material system does take a long time to really ratchet to its full potential. is kind of a minus, but I agree with you on that. For me, I know this is going to sound like blasphemy, but I am going to have to take off points for, uh, you know, me and my interface issues, the fact that there are so many hidden stats on these ar- this armors and weapons that I have to s- go through to extraneous um, sources to find out is, is kind of a, you know, a hit for me. Um, some of the controls and some of the, mi- uh, the mini games were a little wonky, other than that, everything's great. Fucking love this game. Um, it's getting a four and a half from me. Brittany, for one through five, what are you what are you gonna give gameplay? Um, I'll 
I'll give it a five. I, I honestly didn't really have any issues with it. Um, that's... Okay. I loved it. <laughs> no, that's great. It's awesome. All right. So moving on to the, the, the heft of this episode... Uh, we're already, you know, like 30 minutes in and we're just now getting the story and this is going to take a minute. I'll do the, I'll just give like a, a simple run through of it. Uh, you know, I might miss a beat here or there, but essentially I'm just gonna, just gonna run through it cause it is, you know, a three disc long story. Um, but essentially we start off, um, our main character cloud has been hired by as, as a mercenary by the, um, eco terrorists that they are avalanche to take out a reactor in Midgar. Um, Midgar is a collection of small towns that sort of uh, became more technologically advanced when Shinra Electric Corporation essentially put a um, started building these reactors around these this small cluster of towns forming Midgar. Um, and these reactors, as we come to find out, are essentially sucking up Mako energy from the planet that um to provide electricity to the populace uh, mako energy uh is formed from the life stream life stream aka souls so you know yay for ghost powered appliances i don't really know um ghost power yeah um but you blow that up and you return to your little hideout where um, Cloud meets up with Tifa. They apparently have a history. Um, they grew up together. You go to blow up a second reactor. Um, you set the bomb on the way out. You are stopped by President Shinra and his airbuster soldier guy. That blows up. Cloud falls down through a church where you meet Eris or Aerith, depending on the version of the game you played. Um, she is... You did meet her earlier at Option to Buy her take a flower from her or whatever. Um, she sort of helps you up, talks to you, asks you to be her bodyguard. Um, this is where kind of the primary romance and the plot begins. Um, the Turks come in. They're obviously after Aerith. Um, you escape through a cool little barrel drop fighty thing. Um, then <clears throat> you are essentially uh, take her back to her home where she's like, I'm going to help you get to back to your home or where you're from to Final Heaven or the bar where Tifa is. And her mother basically asks you to sneak out in the middle of the night. You try, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't fall for that shit. She, so she's going to escort you back to Sector 7. Now, at this point, you're sitting there having this nice little reflective moment in this uh, post-apocalyptic looking play yard when you see a chocobo drawn carriage don't know why they're using those there's cars and trucks whatever um with a uh fancily dressed tifa on the back of it heading into wall market um this is where we enter the cross-dressing section of the game where you go through you get you dress up in a dress in order to sneak into Don Corneo's mansion. Um, you can be any one of the three. You can either end up with Don Corneo or one of his henchmen. And you um, proceed through that way. You corner him. You tell him who has him spying on um, the people in the slums. Threaten to chop, smash, or cut his balls off. Um, he drops you through the trap door into the sewers. You go through the ghost train. But by the time you get out... Um, they have sit, rigged the pillar holding up one of the 
plates because Midgar is like two sections. So you have the the slums down in the bottom and these plates over top. And uh, the Shinra or the Turks have rigged one of these pillars to explode, crushing everyone in Sector 7. Like we can't find the fuckers, so we'll just kill everybody in that sector. Hopefully we'll get them. That sounds reasonable. Um, you can't. You are unable to stop them from blowing up that pillar. Shinra and the Turks blame it on Avalanche, of course. Um, you swing down into uh, back towards where Earth's mom's home is. She was captured in the process, however. Um, so now you have to rescue her from Shinra headquarters. At this point, you assault Shinra headquarters, of which you have multitude of options in here. There's a there's multiple floors with multiple puzzles um, to get to the top. But once you get to the top, you are uh, you listen on a board meeting and you uh, see this is where you meet Red Thirteen. He's in a tube with Eris. I think Kojo is trying to combine them or do something weird with them. Um, you break out. You are captured and put in a um, into essentially this jail in Shinra headquarters. Um, then. Overnight, music changes, the doors are unlocked, you come outside to find a trail of blood leaving from where Cloud recognized um, a part of Genova in a tank headed up to the upper executive offices. You get to the top to find President Shinra has been uh, assassinated, um, Masamun's sticking out of his back, so Cloud's like, it's Sephiroth, it's gotta be Sephiroth. Um, he has a pass with Seth Roth, blah, 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 blah. You go outside, you meet uh, the president's son, Rufus, who is now taking charge of Shinra. Kind of a douchebag. You fight him. You escape uh, Shinra headquarters, playing G-Bike. Fight a boss at the end of the road. And then you head to Calm to one of the longest, in my parts, exp- expository parts of the game. Um, it's so long, in fact, they felt the need to throw in these battles in there and like give you control through this exposition. Um, it's really bizarre. But I, at the same time, looking at it, it's kind of brilliant. Because the game goes out of, the way, out of its way to show you that Cloud is insignificant compared to Sephiroth's power. Like, um, you, you go through these battles in which this dragon is just fucking you up, and he has to keep resing you and bringing you back. Um, Tifa obviously has some doubts about the things Cloud's just, Cloud is saying, um, and then the whole sequence ends with Cloud implying that he killed Sephiroth. And most everybody's kind of not buying it. Uh even as a player, it's meant to sort of cast doubt on the situation. Um, you know how he you, he was so much more powerful um, that it, it had a lot of holes in the story, um, and this is where we start to really there's this game story has been con, uh, regarded as confusing for by a lot of people, and I wouldn't say I disagree. Uh, the original PlayStation One release had a plenty of uh, translation errors in it, making it hard to follow in segments, but you throw on top of that that it is a story about identity and failure and straight up lying and bad information, so it it's hard really, it, 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 it really is hard to know where you stand at any given point, and I think that's intentional, I think the frustration and uh, complexity to the story is intentional like it is very subtle and very um what's the word 
Like it's it's got a lot of nuance to it in the way it evokes certain emotions and frustration because you're being lied to regularly and you don't know what is actually happening for large sections of the game. But anyway, so Cloud tells you about his past with Sephiroth and this whole deal with the Promised Land, so you decide that you should be chasing Sephiroth because Sephiroth wants to get the Promised Land, Shinra wants to get the Promised Land, so whoever gets it, it's going to be bad. Nobody wants it to happen. So um, you head off, you catch a Chocobo, you cross the, the swamp. When you get to see the uh, this Midgar Zolm's big snake impales on a spike, you're told Sephiroth that it uh, it's actually a really cool scene. You go through some caves, pretty basic dungeon. Come on to the other end, this is where you first encounter um, Fort Condor, which is this little fort, uh, this little group of people defending this reactor against Shinra for all these years to protect this phoenix, uh, condor. Sorry. It's not a phoenix is where you get the phoenix materia, but it's a condor on top of the reactor, and they don't want Shinra to kill it and make it go away. So um, they've just been defending it against them. You can help them. You can actually revisit this location after every major plot point. Just keep coming back for rewards. They're not that great. I've only actually done a couple playthroughs where I've come back every time. Um, So, but you'll come back here later. From there, you head over to Junin, where you find out that... um, well, first off, you got to do the whole thing where you save the girl CPR and you're trying to figure out how to get up into the city because I'm, just like Midgar, there's this little fishing town that industry has built this magic, this huge city next to and it has sort of been forgotten down in the wastelands of whatever. And so you rescue a little girl, you fight off a monster. Um, she, to thank you, she teaches you how to ride her dolphin and jump up the electrical lines. I, you know, why not just beat up the guard that has the key to the elevator? Who knows? But instead, let's ride the dolphin and climb the high voltage lines. Um, at which point you are in Junin. It is, uh, they're throwing this parade for Rufus. You get mistaken for a soldier, but there's some irony there. Um, and you put on the costume, you participate in a march and like this little, uh, almost like DDR, Parappa the Rapper kind of style thing where you're imitating these moves that you need to imitate to impress Rufus and Heidegger. Um, but you find out at the same time Sephiroth's been in town, um, there's all these rumors that he is crossing the ocean. So you stow away on a ship to cross the um, the ocean over to Costa de Sol. Halfway through the trip, everybody's worried uh, that Barrett's going to get hot-headed and blow the situation, right? Um, there is some comic relief in this area where, like, Red 13 is dressed up in a sailor outfit, like, trying to walk on two legs. It's, it's hilarious. Um, you essentially find Barrett this time the alarms go off, um, and people on the ship start dying. And you sort of follow the chaos and get to... Um, your first encounter with Genova. You see sort of um, Sephiroth fly through the ceiling and you fight Genova. After about after that's over, the boat lands in Costa de Sol. You, you unload. There's not a whole lot to do here except go talk to Hojo who's on vacation on the beach. Um, you can try and drown this guy swimming out in the ocean, but why would you do that? Uh, what else? What's next? Uh, from there, you head to Mount Coral. 
okay um, so this is sort of like this coal mining these coal mining mountains that they put a reactor in um, you come out on the other side in this little village where everybody hates Barrett and this is the first uh, like this game through disc one and disc two well, mostly disc one is a series of here's this character's backstory, here's this character's backstory, here's this character's backstory. But here's where we find Barrett's backstory, where um, they built this reactor. He was this advocate for building the reactor instead of doing this coal mining. There's an explosion in the reactor. Um, so Scarlet shows up and has people killed. Like they think it's, you know, the villagers have done something. So, uh, <clears throat> You go to Gold Saucer, at which point a um, bunch of people are killed. They blame Barrett because somebody with a gun on their arm did it, and they put you in prison. The desert prison below Gold Saucer. This is where you run into Dine, who is Marlene's daughter. Because when you meet Marlene earlier, you're like, wait a second. Little white girl, big black guy. How's that her daddy? Well, he's not, because Dine is. Dine uh, had already essentially buried Marlene and his wife, thinking they were dead when Shinra burnt the 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 remnants of coral down. Dine has this whole emotional breakdown um, when Barrett tells him that Marlene's still alive. He intends to kill, like, find Marlene and kill her to take her home to her mama. So um, you do a one-on-one fight with Barrett and Dine, um, at which point you can convince this little. I guess he's sort of like this this jail boss, I don't know, somehow has the connections that allow you to chocobo race to free yourself. Um, so you participate in the chocobo race. Dio, the guy who owns a gold saucer, apologizes by giving you a buggy. So now you can cross shallows and rivers. So you take the buggy, you head over, you can do Gungago. This is where you get a little bit of um, some more Tifa and Eris backstory. Found a little. This is where you get your first sort of... Uh, inklings about Zack and the character Zack. But from there, you head over to Cosmo Canyon. This is where you get Red 13's backstory. Funny if you name him Nanaki because you show up and it's like, what? Nanaki's Nanaki? Whatever. Um, but he's the last of his race. He believes his father's a coward. He basically says, this is where my journey ends. Um, Bugenhagen shows up, or he comes to you and he says, look guys, um, I have something I want to show Red 13. Can you please come with us? interesting fact on Bugenhagen you look at him you're like what is he he's supposed to be like a dude but he's floating what's going on he's actually a little old man riding a mechanical green orb so if that that makes sense if you look at his character like think of the purple robes like flowing down around the outages the outside of the 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 sphere that makes so much more sense I was always like what the hell is this thing? Yeah, but. you you see him in Crisis Core, and obviously what he's riding around on is mechanical. It's a mechanical thing. Um, it looks like Master Roshi from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, well, imagine him sitting sort of Indian style on this green mechanical ball, telling you about spirit energies and shit. So, uh, you go into these caves um, where you find out about you know Red Thirteen's father is actually a hero. Um, After he, he resented him. He was he was paralyzed. He he was the last defender, allowing everyone to get out. Um, so he's paralyzed, but can cry somehow. I don't really want to think about it. Um, and from there, you head to um, Nibelheim. Okay, so this is where Cloud and Tifa grew up, and essentially, 
this is this is more of like, all right, what's going on? Because you show up, the town's supposed to been burned down. You talk to people and ask them what their story is, and Cloud's like, I thought this place was burned down, and they're like, shut up, you're wrong, go away. Um, you're a liar. You go to your home, and you're like, I used to live here, and the person in there is like, that's not nice to say. You know, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. That kind of stuff. Um, you can choose to go into the Shinra Mansion, completely optional. Um, you... This is where you would recruit Vincent. Um, you talk to him, basically. We'll get. We're gonna have a whole bonus episode about uh, like uh, mini games, missables, and that kind of stuff. So, if we skip any of that in this this review show, we're gonna cover all that in a bonus episode. So, this is where you get uh, Vincent. Uh, you have another encounter with Sephiroth in the basement. Throws some materia at you and gets the hell out of Dodge. Uh, at which point you can follow him up through Mount Nebel. Uh, not a whole lot there. It's sort of like a dungeon. Um, there's a boss at the end. A lot of the bosses in this game aren't incredibly memorable or even relevant to the plot in a lot of cases. It's a lot of, a lot of it's just a, you know, a monster that you run into at the end of a thing. So you uh, come through on the other side at Rocket Town, and you are still trying to follow. Sephiroth North, I think, is the plan. You go into Rocket Town. It's this little quaint city, but it's got this big rocket sitting outside of it. Um, you climb the rocket, and this is where you meet Sid. Um, before you even know really anything about you, he's like, oh, why don't you name me? So you know you're going to recruit him. Now, Sid, I don't know about you guys, Definitely one of my favorite characters. This dude is a no-bullshit kind of guy. He kind of says it at, like it is, but he's the pilot that was going to pilot this this rocket into space. You find out a lot about why the rocket never launched and his abusive relationship with Shara. Um, the, but Shinra's showing up to town. They're, gonna, they're there to have a meeting with him, and he's convinced that they're going to relaunch the space program. But when they show up, instead they want to take his plane. Now, this is a recurring theme with Shinra, because obviously they have access to airships and helicopters and planes and such, but they did borrow Sid's tiny Bronco, it's like a single-man plane, and they had to take a ship across the ocean. I don't really get it, whatever. Um, But they show up to borrow his plane, Um, that whole thing's thwarted, resulting in damage to the plane, Uh, but... It is now becomes your uh, like shallows vehicle. So while the buggy you could cross rivers in certain spots, this allows you to travel like all the shallows and the oceans and whatever. So at this point, um, you sort of talk to like this weapons dealer, um, just like I want to say it's like west of Gangaga. Um, he tells you about this keystone to the this temple that he sold to Dio at Gold Saucer. So you go to Gold Saucer, talk to Dio about the keystone. He agrees to give it to you if you fight in the battle arena. So you fight in the battle arena, um, you get the keystone, and you're headed to the Temple of Ancients. You get to the Temple of Ancients, and the whole... Uh, Sephiroth has beaten you there. He's sort of fucked the Turks up. Um, oh, skip the part where uh, you get the keystone, you go back to leave... Kate Sith tells you, sorry guys, the uh, tram is out of order. We're going to have to stay at the hotel. The hotel's amazing. It's like this horror theme. You click on a thing, it plays Kafka's Laugh Noise, which is pretty cool. Um, 
you you wake up, the keystone's gone, you find Kate Sith took it, and he gives it back to Shinra, basically lets you know that he's a spy. He tells you to spy, and he really tells you you don't have any option but to keep him with you because they've taken Marlene hostage. So Kate Sith is a dick, like a real big dick. So huh. uh, <laughs> you, you now have to chase the Turks and Shenra to the Temple of the Ancients. When you get there, Sephiroth is already kind of fucked up saying he gives you the keystone to proceed into the Temple of Ancients. Um, ultimately, another dungeon, pretty cool dungeon. You learn a little bit about the Cetra and the Ancients and who they are. Um, but then you sort of figure out what Sephiroth is after. He's after this black materia, which will rain down Meteor, the ultimate destructive force. But then you find out that the temple itself is the black materia and inside is a puzzle box and each time you uh, solve something on the puzzle box the temple gets smaller and smaller and smaller ultimately crushing whoever is solving the riddle inside to create the black materia so Kate just shows up again he's like look I'm just a robot let me do it I'm sorry that I'm a douchebag but let me do this for you so you allow him to do that the, the temple turns into the black materia you go to retrieve it, um, at which point Cloud essentially has like a nervous breakdown and starts beating the shit out of Eris down in this crater. Um, they essentially pull you off of her, and they uh, she leaves. Okay, um, she she disappears, and you have this vision of her in this mysterious forest, which you followed north to Bone Village, and through the Sleeping Forest into the City of Ancients. Um, City of Ancients is also really cool. It's like imagine like this, uh, like fossilized, like conch shell, seashell kind of forest city. Um, you work your way through City of Ancients. No random fights in City of Ancients, which is pretty cool. Um, but you slowly uncover. You flip the switch and you go down this path into this lake below this one house where you see Eris by herself praying. And you make your way over there, at which point Cloud had, begins to have another nervous breakdown. He's, he's acting like he's going to kill her. And as you fight it, ultimately Sephiroth comes down and kills Aerith. Um, then from there, there's a sad burial scene. You fight another Genova. Um, you then, at this point... Okay, so at this point, you are still following Sephiroth north because now he's killed Eris. Now it means business. You follow him north through um, to Icicle Village. You do some snowboarding. There's a little slap fight with Scarlet out front. You can either win or lose. Snowboard down the hill. You're in um, the Great Glacier. It's a big maze, labyrinth. You can turn around. You can only be out there so long before you pass out and you go to the next area, the Icicle Lodge, or no the base of the mountain for the uh, I forget what it's called it's like the I forget what that area is called but then you climb some cliffs you fight some icicles you fight a two-headed dragon you know it's it's all basic kind of dungeoning not very a lot of plot heavy but when you get fully north into the crater um, reunion has started where there's all these cloaked figures that you've been slowly running into uh, assembling in this crater and you start following the trail to the center to get the Sephiroth um, before you go in, uh, since 
Cloud knows he's susceptible to Sephiroth's control, you essentially leave the black materia with Red 13, and you're like, no matter what, just keep it. Don't give it to me. So you go in to confront uh, Sephiroth. You, uh, Sephiroth like, starts playing with your head, telling you you're just a puppet and all this jazz. Um, he gives, uh, makes a sort of a, an apparition of Tifa appear to Red 13, telling him to give her the black materia so she can take it to Cloud. Um, Cloud ends up back with the black materia. You find Sephiroth in his true form in the crater, at which point Cloud gives him the materia. Um, Hojo tells him he's like an incomplete Sephiroth clone, some failed experiment. So yet again, we, we, at this point, the player has no idea who Cloud's supposed to be, right? He, you know, first off, he's telling people that he defeated Sephiroth. Now he's some clone of Sephiroth. Now you thought he was the hero, but now he's given the villain the, the ultimate thing. Um, at which time he's, you know, weapons erupt from the ground, um, Shinra's like, let's get the fuck out of here. Your character's like, we're hitching a ride. Um, and Sephiroth goes down into the live stream with this crystallized Sephiroth. Um, you wake up playing as Tifa in Junin, and you are being sentenced to an execution. Um, they put you in this gas chamber with an intent to execute you, but about this time, weapon attacks. Well, one of the weapons attack, I believe this one is, I forget. Sapphire. Sapphire weapon attacks Junin. Um, they fire, they fight it off with the giant cannon attached to Junin, blowing its head off. You get a cool FMB sequence. Um, you use this to your advantage to escape execution and, uh, make off with the high wind. So now you've unlocked the high wind. Um, it's time to find cloud. So you head to Medeal, where you find Cloud in his semi-coma state making some terrible noise. I really wish I had captured it, because it is atrocious. Um, I still think it was the machines. She says it's machines. I didn't see any machines. I just see him bobbing his head back and forth to that the, the, at the pace that the thing's making, so I, I don't know what sort of screeching it's supposed to be. I, it, I don't it. understand how a human could make that noise, so... <laughs> Whatever. Um... And Tifa decides um, she's going to stay with him, you know, change his diapers, that kind of thing, wipe his butt, clear his drool until they can figure out what's going on. Uh, so everybody somehow elects Sid as the new leader. So you play as Sid for a while, but you're chasing after the huge materia um, vis-a-vis Kate Seth kind of telling you this is what everybody's up to because now he's sort of, instead of him giving your information to the Shinra, now he's keeping you updated on the Shinra's doings. So, um, first you head to Coral, and in each of these, you can fail almost every one of these missions at this point, um, allowing Shinra to make off with the huge materia, you know, losing out on certain things, but um, you want to stop this train from running, and, like, you get there too late, you chase him down another train, it's like this train chase down, uh, you can either save that huge materia, or they can get it away from you. Then you go to uh, Fort Condor. Uh, you do one last battle there. Uh, if you succeed, you can get the huge materia from the like the mayor of the group of people or whatever you call them. You also get the Phoenix materia when the Condor basically um, it dies, but the egg hatches and uh, the new baby Condor flies off. So um, you get it regardless if you succeed or not. The Phoenix materia. Both. 
the huge material and the fetus material. I thought if you like, no, 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 no. Like if you got in that fight with that guy at the end and he beat you, you don't get it. They kick your ass out okay. and you lose access to Fort Condor. Period. Yeah, if you fight the commander, he kicks her out. No, if you fight Lose. the commander, if you fight the commander and win, you're you, still fine. You get everything. You yeah. get everything. But you can, if you fight the commander and lose, like they fucking kick your ass out. Okay. Um. So, uh, from there, you're like, all right, let's go check back in on Cloud and Tifa. You arrive, but just as you arrive, Ultima Weapon begins to attack Medeal. Everybody skedaddles. Um, but Tifa and Cloud are a little too slow when they fall into the live stream. And this is where Tifa plays the let's swim around Cloud subconscious and figure out what's going on. Um, Hojo's claim that Cloud's this failed Sephiroth clone didn't even give him a number that uh, the only reason he has any of these memories or appears like Cloud, it's the Genova cells morphing his body and his memories based on the first person that he had contact with, which was Tifa when she found him sort of like emaciated at the train station but through this this story turn of events you find out that cloud is indeed cloud but what happened to him was he was at nibelheim five years ago or whatever it was um he was not the main soldier accompanying several that was zach cloud was there but he was like a a rank and file soldier um and he was embarrassed to have tifa see him so he stayed hidden so when the events in the reactor sort of occur, Zack is struck down. Cloud comes in and completely enraged. He's hurt Tifa. He's burnt down his village, killed his, his mother. Um, he picks up Zack's sword and attacks, uh, gets a sneak attack in on Sephiroth. And then he goes back out to check on, on Tifa. Um, Can I mention that you do get kind of a foreshadowing about Zack when you first go to Nibelheim? Yes. Wait. What? You go into the house and you talk to his parents? That's in Gungaga. You talk to his parents. Okay. Well, Gungaga. Gungaga. Yeah, I said, I said I said, when you go there, is you get a little your first hint of Zack. Okay. So uh, you, um, you go check with Tifa. Sephiroth starts walking back out. Um but Cloud refuses to let him leave. So above the, in the main core of the reactor, above sort of where the Mako pools on the bottom, um, Cloud chases after Sephiroth and tells him, you know, to, to give it all back, give give him, you know, his home, his family. He wants it all back. And uh, Sephiroth sort of like turns around and stabs him through with um, Masamun. Cloud grabs it, sort of like brings himself back down in this weird physics pivot, and tosses Sephiroth into the Mako reactor, uh, gravely injuring you know Cloud in the process. Um, in a special cutscene, optional cutscene later, you find out sort of you fill the gap in between what happens here and how he ends up in in Midgar with uh, Zack's memories and Zack's clothes and all this stuff. But essentially, um, him and Zack both end up being uh, experimented on heavily by Hojo and Professor Gast. Um, at which point Zack breaks the two of them out um, and carries him to Midgar where he has a girlfriend, Eris, of course, um, and he decides that they're going to be mercenaries. But Zack, uh, Cloud's still in this like comatose state when they are accosted by um, Shinra foot soldiers and shot down. Zack is like brutally shot down. like The bitch is on the ground and they just kind of stand over him unloading bullets into him. Um... 
that's that's sort of the the short and curly of that. But then you move on to uh, at this point, Clown's back, and he's like, uh, through t- you know, Tifa helps him remember who he is and his identity and all this stuff. And <clears throat> Clown's back. He says, you know, we're gonna move forward. There's like this whole you ain't getting off, ain't no getting off this train joke, which I don't know how anybody else. Other than Cloud and Tifa would know something that happened way early in Disc One before we met any of them, but um, at this point it's sort of oh man, what happens immediately after you get Cloud back? Oh, you go to Rocket Town. Uh, you find out that the Shinra has strapped all this huge material in the rocket in Rocket Town, and they're gonna fire it at Meteor. But instead of ever giving that that as a chance to work, like no, 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 we're gonna go stop it. You get on the rocket, you take the huge material and abort ship. The rocket collides into the meteor fragmenting it but it's still coming it's it, it sort of pulls itself back together no effect you land at this point you are shit, i'm trying to remember i just did it what's right after rocket town crap i have i have uh access to information don't i all right i thought it was cosmo canyon um maybe let's see really be wrong now. Okay, yep, you go back and you talk to, you take the huge material to, to, to Bugenhagen, um, and he sort of explains more, and they're like, everybody's like, Eris obviously knew something we didn't. Let's go see if we can find out some information. So you go back to the Temple of the Ancients, um, and you take Bugenhagen with you, and he's like, I can't read any of this, but there appears to be this mechanism that requires a key. Somebody had scribbled in, I guess, common the um like a coded meeting to where the key is you hop in the submarine um which i think i skipped the whole underwater reactor thing oh well yeah, yeah. i was like waiting for it i'm like uh well i guess he's just gonna get back to it <laughs> you you skip you go to an underwater reactor to try and get the last of the huge material before you go to rocket town sorry but you come to your submarine um but you take the submarine you go basically directly under where the city of ancients would be you gather the key you come back and it plays Aerith's death scene again but this time the focus is on the her white materia as it falls from her it's glowing a pale green this is the point you're like you realize that she prayed to she's cast holy the ultimate white magic to protect um earth from meteor now there are some uh, weird implications that holy could also attack humans because if holy decides that the threat to the planet is you know humans then so be it but they 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 hedge their bets on meteors to threat yeah so move on um you leave out of there in time to see diamond weapon is beginning to assault midgar they have moved the the cannon from junin over to Midgar and attached it to all these reactors and they're just going to pull as much energy out of these reactors as they can and fire it in this cannon and attempt to not only kill Diamond Weapon but to um, attack Sephiroth up in the North Crater. So uh, this, which point you play a waiting game you go sit on the beach in front of Midgar waiting for Diamond Weapon to come up. You fight him. It's a pretty cool boss fight. Um, but you ultimately don't defeat him. He kind of gets bored of you and walks on unloads um a bunch of energy onto midgar just in time for them to fire the sister ray at him um piercing directly through diamond weapon and cracking the barrier in um the north barrier at this point shinra has been more proactive about saving the world than you are 
Just, just I would like to point out that they have defeated two weapons. You have defeated zero. You thwarted their major plan to stop Meteor. So I'm not entirely sure who's being more effective at this point, but we'll move on. Um, well, aren't technically the weapons created by the planet to protect the planet? So aren't they technically attacking the planet's self-defense? Yes, but I mean... They're going to kill all humanity, so... I mean, I think that's their goal. I don't know. Moving on. Uh, You assault Midgar because Hojo is taking control over the Sister Ray, and um, it's going to, like... It's not good. Like, there's going to be explosions. A lot of people are going to die. He essentially wants to energize Sephiroth with the energy from the um, cannon. So, uh, you assault Hojo on the Sister Ray, and then basically all is left is the North Crater. You assault um, Sephiroth in the North Crater, defeating him. Um, and that's the gist. There are a lot of more nuances and other subtle background story and stuff going on in there. Um, what didn't work? What didn't you like about the story, Brittany? What didn't I like about the story? Yeah, what didn't you like? I I really can't think of anything that I didn't like about the story. Okay. Um, if I were to say there was one thing, anything I didn't like is it, it is frustrating to follow from time to time, and there are long blocks of exposition that really, I think, could be handled a little better. Like a lot of just the... Um, a lot of Bugenhagen just talking. You know, that happens a lot. There's a lot of... Like uh, Tifa, Cloud, why don't you care? Kind of stuff. That see, I like that stuff. Um, it gets old for me on playthrough. You know, thirty something or whatever. Well, yeah, I'm on. but the first time around, it's no, it's good great. stuff. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Um, as far as there are a lot of themes um, regarding identity and failure in the story. Um, you, Cloud is struggling with who he is. Uh, Sephiroth struggles with who he is. His whole turn to the quote-unquote dark side is when he realizes that he he didn't have a traditional mother or father. He was made in some lab, and um, he has been denied some ancient uh, alien heritage that he thinks he is owed. Um, and then also there's this running theme where um, not only can you fail a lot in the game, a lot of the characters have feel like they have failed. Um, you know, Barrett failed to save, um, his village. Uh, Red 13 thinks his father failed his people. Sid thinks he, he failed to, to reach space. Vincent, you know, failed, um, if not if Lana, that's Lucretia, Lucretia. Like this is a, um, Wu-Tai has failed to maintain their cultural relevance after being defeated by the Shenra. Uh, this is, you know, uh, a running theme throughout the game. Um, were these themes apparent to you through it, or were you just kind of enjoying the thing as it went? They were very apparent to me. Um, but then in the end, it kind of pulls together. <sighs> yeah, I know. I get you. I get you. I get you. I get you. Um, if what, um, as far as things that didn't work, what didn't work for you in the story, Nick? Well, um, I guess the whole things being out of order so often, uh-huh. um, like once you've played through it, 
you kind of have all the information for you. It, then you go back and, and kind of link everything together, then it makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and even going back and playing through it, or you'll remember details that you you thought were just irrelevant before. Um, so it's definitely a first-time playthrough. It's kind of lacking in that cohesive narrative type deal. Uh, you get a good, like, all right, you're saving the world type of story, but all of the actual nitty-gritty parts of the story that make you get more attached to the world and the characters or some of it's easily missable if you don't do the mm-hmm. like the specific events that you need to do and do them properly like there's even, there's an event that you can miss in, in Ganganga where if you don't go there right away um, when the Shinra are still there like you just go back you you avoid that place altogether and come back later you miss a whole swath of back background information that you could get uh, that you can't get anywhere else so yeah you learn a lot about them a little bit about uh, Zach, and you learn a lot about the Turks, like who they are as people. Like Gagang is like a cool little optional area. Um, we were, um, but I think the lack of cohesiveness is kind of the point of the story in this game. Is is you are as the player also supposed to be supposed to be doubting everything about Cloud um, through the game? I feel so. Um, I like that. It gave it a twist. Yeah, I think for a first playthrough, like it loses its its luster after you know a couple times. But I think that first time, it really delivers on. It, it is it is frustrating and confusing enough, so that the payoff when you sort of everything ties together and you really you get a better understanding of what happened is really it really does pay off. Um, I think. I think it would have been less enjoyable if it was just straight through. Because it um, kept my attention. Well, I mean, you need you need a little something. It would it would have had something extra there, I think. Um, but for me, as far as uh, what didn't work in the story, I would say a lot of the cooler bits in the story. I think it all comes down to the translation of the original title, because the one thing that I don't think a lot of people pick up on when they play the original PS One game is you're not because sort of Sephiroth's power seems kind of all over the board early in the game like he can fly but he's riding a boat he can face through walls like what's happening it's because he's not actually there um these are bits of genova that are being pulled together that's why you fight genova at each of these breakpoints like he's not carrying around these little bits and then dropping them no you're fighting the bits of genova that are taking Sephiroth's form as he's calling all of genova back to the north crater that's also why these people are attending reunion because they have been injected with genova cells and they all want to return to be whole as genova cells do so um i think that's lost a lot in the storytelling i think um a lot of the themes are repeated too often so we talked about themes of identity and uh, failure. I think the identity through through line is great. It's amazing, but a lot of the uh, like I'm not good enough stuff kind of wears thin on me a lot in games where people are just like oh I'm not I've I haven't done right by so and so blah 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 like that stuff is like fucking get over it and do what you got to yeah you just get over it do what you got to do so I don't know I kind of disagree I felt like the mirroring between the main character and the main villain was a unique well, thing no that... I agree. that's what I'm talking about the through line of identity is fine like that that I'm okay with but I'm talking about like each of these characters has failed they feel like they failed at something so like you, you like um 
Barrett failed to save his hometown. Uh, Sid failed to make it into space. Vincent failed to save Lucretia. And that's all they focus on is this, that each of them have this key failure in their life that they feel they have to atone for. Yeah, but how else would they make the characters interesting? There's other ways to make characters interesting. Not everyone needs to have a, like this, this tragic backstory. You, know, you kind of understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I just think that a hardship makes it more interesting. I guess I mean, and I think used sparingly, it's a it's a it's a brilliant um, narrative technique or character trait. I, I just don't need you know five out of the six characters to have it. I think they're going for like they've got their past failures, and now there's the ultimate thing on the line. They can't risk failing. No, I get that, and I, I I'm just I'm just being nitpicky because it's really hard for me to really pull things that you know. I'm just I'm just grasping at straws to find something to to not be like yay we play final fantasy 7 guys like yeah, so i mean i think it just it, it pulls together and it adds to the end where they all realize that none of that really matters in the end when okay. they're trying to fight and save the planet and all then right. they they realize what they've accomplished versus what they failed at okay uh, well um it was requested by a friend of the show that we talk about a few um fan theories for FF7 here in this, I just figured we throw him in here in the story segment. Um, he mentioned some sort of Kate's fan theory, but I couldn't really spot what he was talking about. There are a lot of really weird ones, but the two ones that really st- stand out in my mind. The first and biggest one, of course, is being that Final Fantasy 7 and Final Fantasy 10 are set in the same universe, possibly the same planet, um, due to the fact in Final Fantasy 10 2, you meet in a small owl bed boy who, um, his name is Shinra. And he talks about finding an electrical source of power in the Farscape using life energy, uh, which is essentially what Shinra does, Mako energy. So um, it Just is... Just because somebody's going to email you, it's far plane, not Farscape. Far, sorry, far plane. I haven't played a lot of tin. I apologize. Um, far plane. So it's, a, it's sort of implied that this could be the origins. You know, thousands of years later, they either landed on another planet, Gaia, or... Um, or Spira ultimately lost its name and became known as Gaia. Um, so, yeah, that's that one. My favorite, and it has no real credence or anything in, in game to back it up, other than we know that uh, Summon Materia are essentially souls um, that were in the live stream as it crystallized in this Materia, so they're powerful enough souls to have the live stream crystallized around them becoming a summon materia okay so um the theory is that the knights of the round are essentially the ancient cetera or the ancients that fought genova when she first landed on gaia and imprisoned her in their thus imprisoning themselves into the live stream and becoming materia i think that's a really cool um just theory there's no credence to it or any any way to back any of it up but i think that's that's a really cool notion going along with that they kind of tie into each other if the uh ff7 ff10 same universe thing holds true that it could be the summons are actually the faith from Final fantasy 10 being represented into the world of gaia could be that's that's reasonable well, there's a lot of connections you can then make. Um, like I, I saw a bunch of really long explanations to why people thought like Genova is possibly um, uh, who like that first summoner that became um, Sin. Um, Jacked. No, not Jacked. Jacked. Um, 
Jack's friend. Or the very first one. No, 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 no. This is long before Jack and his friend. This is like the first one that started the whole thing. Okay, you Yevin? Yevin is his name, right? Yeah, some like like uh him or like even like a like it could be Yuna or something. Like there's a bunch of really stretching theories based on summoner mythology and FF10 and what implications that could have thousands thousands of years later on Gaia and Final Fantasy 7. So um there's it's a that's a really deep rabbit hole you can go down but i don't really put any credence in it so i won't um but uh i think did we ever did we talk about what worked for us in the story no all right Brittany, what worked for you in this story i i mean i keep going back to it i like um i like that it was so you know everywhere because it kind of it made it suspenseful um it just made for a good storyline. Okay. Uh, Nick, what worked for you um, in this story? Um, the, the, I guess the, the whole, just the narrative itself was okay. fine. Um, the whole starting from like nothing to becoming the saviors of the world and whatever is kind of like a tried and true thing. And the little twists and turns they had on to the story kind of spice it up. So it wasn't just like this band of like heroes out to save the world. It was just it's like this group of people who are more uh, down on their luck than not. And their strong desire to save the planet uh, that they call home. Um, and as Brittany was saying, the whole clusterfuck with Cloud. What, what is he? Is he human? Is he not human? Is he an alien? Is he actually part of Sephiroth? What the hell is going on here? As a, if you can follow the whole thing, it's great. If you can't, then well, play it again, try again. I guess. I also like the the subtle the subtle romances that they have. Yeah, because I mean, first you start off with Eris as the primary romance, and of course she dies, um, and then sort of Tifa steps in as the more uh, I would say mature romance storyline. Because I don't know, I always felt like. There is something between Cloud and Tifa, and Eris is more harking back to Zack. Well, the, I agree, I agree, but that's that's sort of why I mean Tifa's the more mature storyline, uh, love story because, like the the Eris thing is like it's it it's quick, like it's Zack's memories, it's her memories, like there's like a uh, she's sort of like heavily flirting with him, like it, it it's sort of like they're really drawn to each other for a very short period of time before, you know, something traumatic or tragic happens. But Tiva's really with Cloud the whole time and it's really not to the end like that final sequence where he you see the hand and he thinks it's Eris, but it's really Tifa and he sort of comes to like like it feels like it's it could be a realization moment where it's like, you know, she's saved my bacon so many times. She's been here for me each step of the way. Um, this is the person that should really mean everything to me. Eris um, was essentially rebounding. Uh, not really. Well, Eris was. Re- I don't, that's that's complicated. But because uh, I don't know if it was just Zach's memory still taking over, and at the end he's finally breaking through and becoming Cloud again. Well, not really, because he goes. He mentions that he knows where to see her, where to visit her, and like Tifa just saved his life again, and he wants to go visit her grave or whatever essentially and Tifa's like yeah let's go see her you know like um I don't know like even 
it's sort of all over the place like that, but in in Advent Children does even more things to sort of make it more complicated than it needs to be. So, but uh, let me ask you this, guys: Cloud and Barrett, though, best romance. Yeah, I did go on a date with Barrett, so I mean, this is the quickest date because you can't do the play. When you show up to do the play, he's like, oh, you're a hundredth couple. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Would you like a ticket? Uh-uh. Mm. So, um. I'm a Cloud and Tifa advocate all the way through. So uh, she's the- team Tifa. So, uh, I want to know how you guys feel about, like, the legitimate acts of terror in this game. Like, do you think this game's story would fly as well? Um, like a post 9-11 kind of kind of skate where like you are blowing up and killing thousands of people no like do you think like how about you nick do you think that's like a kosher thing in uh like modern culture for the hero to be doing things like that um i feel like a lot of people would have been butthurt about it i don't really don't see why not it's not like the not, well, not thing was bad but it wasn't like horrible i guess like like the death toll could have been bigger and I would really I watch was, the 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 line you're trying to trying to tread there, Nick. Well, it's whatever. Like I saw it happen live TV. It never really affected me. Like uh, tragedies like that don't affect me as a person. That's not what, like, I'm, that's not what I'm asking, Nick. I'm just asking. I'm, I understand. Like, I'm just saying because you're saying I'm treading the line. So, um, do I think the American people would dislike this? Probably, but you you get shit you get shit happening all the time everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you can either hold on to it and never let go, or grow the fuck up and be like, "All right, this happened." You can't, you can't not have something similar happening because they're not necessarily calling upon those types of uh, like themes and imagery or whatever. Like they're not doing it to purposefully rile you up. They're trying to tell a story. My thought on it is that. There's going to be somewhere, somebody somewhere that's going to complain about something. Fair enough. I mean, all right, just moving on, moving on. All right, so this is the time, time to give it, give it a number. Uh, Brittany, one through five, what are you going to give the story? Definitely a five. Nick? Um, I will give it a four and a half. Okay. I will, uh, what's losing the, the half point from you? Just the cluster, uh, generalized clusterfuck? It just the the fact that so much of it can be potentially missed and that could hamper your actual experience with the overall plot. Okay. Um, that's really it. All right. I'm also going to give it a five. It, I've said it once. I've said it again. Um, FF Seven is my was uh, my gateway drug into the genre. I was completely blown away by the story and everything. So even losing those extra parts, I still think the story was fantastic. So. All right. So next up is the visuals. So this is one of those areas in which people really harp on this game, like the the haters that gonna hate, um, always like. But it they look the weird and they're all blocky and they're made of triangles. They're like, whatever. And I will admit that the visual styles are inconsistent throughout the game. Um, there's multiple sort of tiers of models, and then even in the FMV sequences. You have some that they're they're detailed models, and then there's others like the one where Medea's crashing where they're not for some reason. All of a sudden, they're using these other models. Um, so, but I mean the the pre-rendered backgrounds are flat out gorgeous, and I I really feel like 
you're not losing a whole lot with those characters even being put on these extremely detailed backgrounds i i think um they express enough emotion in their sort of animations to to really not be that much of a like a downside uh what what do you think nick what do you think about the visuals on it i think this is one of those where uh 3d polygon whatever games that while the obviously the graphics don't hold up fantastically i would say they hold up well uh compared to other games that came out in the same time period yeah. um like playing through it everything is still gorgeous the changing um like models or whatever really it doesn't bother me like they they fit the point in time that they're presenting the imagery uh in my opinion and the only real drawback is just the i guess they had to use the polygons in such a way to save mm-hmm. um i'm assuming memory because they had such gorgeously rendered backgrounds and everything they mm-hmm. had to find a way to keep the the memory load down and so that's what i'm presuming why that the character models on the overworld look kind of blocky but nothing that's like it doesn't really take away from the experience in my opinion and i think i agree completely i think they were stylized enough that it even like the style they went for with the low polygon it really just works because you can always kind of tell where the care to me at least i can always kind of tell where the character is on the background it's expressive enough to convey the things happening uh, and like I said, you can always kind of tell where the character is and what it's doing, unlike some other early 3D titles where it just was really hard to see what was going on. Like, uh, I, I think of Final Fantasy VIII for an example. It just, the, yeah, they want to apply these textures and stuff, but it just ends up looking and holding up far worse than than a game like this because i think they learned their lesson from that because they went back to the style with Final fantasy 9 and that mm-hmm. game still looks fantastic to this day as well Nine's oh, gorgeous um what do you think about the visuals Brittany? um i honestly that's kind of what kept me away from it for so long um because i've always been a stickler for graphics um but i like everybody else has said i really don't think it pulls away from the story as much as i thought it was going to um the backgrounds are again amazing but the characters are blocky but the, again that really doesn't didn't bother me as much as i thought it was going to yeah i think people get uh hung up a lot on what a game looks like especially you know when we talk you talk to people about rpgs and it's really hard to get them sometimes it's really hard to get people to play like 2d rpgs and they they just don't understand the mastery and like how those games can be gorgeous in their own way and it's. I think when people are really dissuaded by how a game looks, it's really unfortunate because there can be such such good like like there's there's awesome candy under that hard you know outer shell. I promise. Um, so we won't you know stay long on visuals. I think a lot of the uh, limit breaks look cool. Animations are cool. Spells are cool. A lot of the summons are awesome. They looked amazing, and everything in battle looked great. Um, you know the pre-rendered backgrounds in each of the areas were just so fucking amazing um that it it makes up for any any other flaw i could ever see in how the game looks so it's getting a five from me what about you nick 
I'll also give it a five, despite some, I would say, some like um, once in a blue moon type of weird ass character design, like for monsters, like when you fight like the, the slot machines or like the oh, that's awesome, moving though. like Come the moving on. machine gun warning sign things. I'm like, what is what is this? That's what cool. is this? Uh, get over it. What about you? I know that's why I said it was just a weird weird thing. What but about? I agree immensely. The animations, the cutscenes, FMVs, anything, everything they shoved in here looks amazing. What about you, Brittany? How do you feel? What are you um, giving it? Despite my initial thoughts, I'll give it a five. Your initial After thoughts? What were you it. initially giving it? With no, the, with, before with, playing it. W- before playing it, what were you giving it? Just looking a at three. it. Three. Wow, really? Maybe a 3.5. Wow. Way to be a douche. All right. Well, the overworld is typically what's shown... And that's the blockiest looking thing. Yeah, and I don't really have that much problem with it. Like I've seen entire games that play and look like that. So I mean, I don't, I don't really get it. But it's one part of the game. Okay, all right. Music. What can I say about music? It's a uh, hero. Oh man, it is Nobuo Oimatsu. I always say his name wrong. Um, score, and it is marvelous it's one of my favorite video game scores of all time if not the favorite but objectively there are probably scores uh, video game soundtracks that i own that are better but this just one holds so much nostalgia for me i mean like you're super biased like super biased i mean like like ah uh, why didn't it play the there we go like the fucking turk song come on guys like it's great it's great like every time i hear like the the initial like start where the game starts like this like i get chills like i'm already ready to go like let's do it like it is go time so i mean i mean there are a few um weird songs like uh like uh, let me see if i can find one Maybe the Nova theme's the best, in my opinion. I, I really like Tifa's theme, to be honest with you. Honeybee Manor is a little weird. When they do stuff like this, it's a little weird. But um, even this is, is. I like Turks. Like Tifa theme. Tifa's theme is probably my favorite. Um, let me see if I can find this Genova theme or the other one. Uh, no, the other one. Let's see if I can find it. I think it's like J-E-N is how they spell it. Maybe, I don't know. Mine's not. My, like, I have like the actual like collection of CDs, so I don't know if they're named the same. No, not that one. Um, I have no... I don't see it. Oh, the Chocobo Race one makes my brain hurt. There, there's a link. Alright. The, oh, I love Chocobo Racing. Like, It's probably my favorite Chocobo theme. Oh, this one. Yeah, I like that one too. Yeah, that one's pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's just got some awesome tracks in it. I mean, even like Katesy, his his theme is just cool. It's jazzy and awesome. Like Hell, when you get to calm the first time, the song that plays there is great too. Oh man, calm. What is that one? I want to say it's called calm. Um, ahead on our way yeah that's it yeah calm yeah like it's just 
serene. Yeah. All the Chocobo stuff is great. Yeah, the Surfer Chocobo song is the best. I don't know what you guys are talking about. So, I mean, uh, like, if, if a Final Fantasy game can get a Chocobo theme that I like, then I think it's it's on. It It's it's on 100%. Um, what, is there anything that didn't work for either of you guys in the music? No. What about I, you, Nick? Not at all. Me either. I really I got nothing. The whole OST is fantastic. It's, it like I said, it's, I'm sure somebody could write it and, and give me an example of, of something, but to me it's it's almost it's it's if it's not perfect then I don't I don't know what it is. Like Uematsu stuff is great. Um like right below Final Fantasy Seven would probably be FF six score. Like they're just so good. Um so it's getting a five for me. I think we can just go ahead and drop that ball. anybody got not giving it a five? What are you giving it, Nick? I'll give it a one just to spite you. Alright. I'm kidding. I'm kidding it's a five. Alright. You didn't want that to go down in your your history, Glenn. All right, Brittany. Glenn. No, because we're picking on his circuit and story score. Oh, okay. Fucking two. All right, Brittany, what are you giving the music? Five? Um, yeah, I'll give it a five. I mean, despite not playing it until now, I've been listening to the music for years, and I've always loved it. Okay, so overall experience. I'm going to go last on this one. Uh, I want to start with Brittany, though. Uh, as a somebody that came from Final Fantasy VIII which I think would be fair to say that is a the generation like younger than me's Final Fantasy, right? Like that is um, their Final Fantasy. A lot of people like eight. Um, I've always been a diehard Final Fantasy eight I, fan. I don't really think it holds up, and I think if we get you to play it again, that it, it it's not going to hold up as well as you think it will. I I mean I agree with that now. But um. How was the overall experience of playing, like, kind of walk me through your experience playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time? Um, to be honest, the Materia system kind of confused me a little bit at first. I had a little bit of a rough time with it, um, so that was one of the downfalls. But once I played through it a little bit, I kind of got more of an understanding of it. Okay. Um, the storyline was, it was amazing. Again, it, it was so much better than eight. Um, I kind of regret not playing it until now. Um, overall, I mean, it was fantastic. I'd really, I would, I would definitely play it again. I'd like to play it again and go through and get all the extra, well, at least some of the extra stuff. There's a lot that I didn't pick up. Um, I'd like to go through again and see if I can't get more Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to get a better playthrough. All right. So overall experience, what are you going to give it? I'll give it a five. Man, just perfect scores across the board from you. You're just hard to disappoint. All right, Nick. Overall experience. Don't lie, Brent. When it first came out, you'd give it a five across the board too. Yeah, probably. What do you what do you what do you give it? Um, well, for overall experience, for the longest time, uh I was in the Final Fantasy Seven is not one of the greatest games ever camp. Because just like I had played it so much growing up that I kinda got sick of it. And, and it, uh, it, it does get hyped to hell. And and I had almost beaten it, and my brother erased my save. And I like, I tried to get back to the end of the game, but my heart wasn't in it at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And I had also discovered other RPGs that I was more infatuated with. Uh, so anytime I'd, I'd get in a conversation with somebody, and they'd be like, oh, do you play role-playing games? I'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, I'd play Suikoden, Wild Arms, whatever. And they'd be like, oh, uh, do you ever play Final Fantasy VII? And it's like literally 
anybody you talk to, that's their go-to. It's Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII. So for the longest time, I was just like, fuck this game. Like, I don't care. I, I know it's good, but fuck it. Like, I don't care. Uh, but as I'm playing through it again, um, like, I can't let that actually detract from the experience because it's a fantastic game. Uh, so I'm going to give it a five. All right. All right. Um, I think I'm going to be the uh, upset in this category because uh, it is so great and I love it so much. Um, but coming back at it, I mean, and that's part of why we're doing this show as a whole is to sort of revisit things that we hold dear and compare it to other things in the genre around the time. Like when I first played this game, I, I would give it a five. But um, I have played um, so many other RPGs at this point where I've played games that do battle better. They do uh, sort of a lot of a lot of things in a given game. Um, so it comes to mind. I mean, that's a game that has multiple tiers of advancement and this really doesn't so while i'm not gonna give it like a terrible score it's it's getting a 4.5 like i mean there there are things that left me uh a little dismayed this time but overall it's still a fan fucking tastic game um in all regards i enjoy that you're like i'm gonna be the sole detractor here 4.5 yeah, it's just half a point. It, it just it's not enough to merit a perfect score from me. Um, you know, it's just if there's if the, if there's things that I can find default, then you know I try not to let it. But time for we're bringing quick fire questions back. I only missed it really on one what about, review. We missed re- replayability. Oh, we did miss replayability. That's right. That's what I was trying to tell uh, you. Whatever. Sorry. Replayability. All right. I'll go first. I think it's a great game to replay because there's so much you can miss. You can play with different characters, try different build-outs, different weapons, different armor. You can try and max out all materia. There's a ton of challenges. You can speed run it. Uh, and it, it it's streamlined enough. The only distractor from replayability is mid, that first Midgar section takes so long. It takes so long to get out of Midgar um, that I think I could probably do it in an hour and a half, maybe two hours, get on Midgar. But still, it's a long time to be playing the introduction to a to a game. So replayability, I'm gonna give it a four. I mean, it's it's more or less the same thing every time. There's just enough extra so that you know, and it is and it is permanently missable. That it's you know enough to make you want to do it again. What about you, Nick? Uh, I'll give it a three. Okay. Because, as you know, my stance on playing through a long storyline by now um like unless unless you like you missed a lot of shit and you really want to just look for that last couple stuff i don't feel like there's any real reason to go and replay it right away like give it a couple years and play it again definitely it's 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 a good experience to play through again like because like they say everything in moderation so you know moderate your time come back to it after a while play it again you'll have a great time but running it back to back to back which is how I think of replayability mm-hmm. is you're not really going to be getting anything more out of it because anything any of the customization you can do you can just do with an end game save and mess around with that stuff. So. Sure, sure, sure. But I think I think that that kind of still counts because you've you've beat the game and you you're like all right, well I want to go do the last boss differently, so I'm going to load up my last save or I want to go back and try my hand at ruby and emerald weapon. 
Um, I think those things count towards replayability. I'm with I'm generally with you in the same boat as far as replayability. If you're just playing the same game again, if even if it is a game you love, it doesn't really garner more than a three because I mean you're not gaining anything extra out of playing it again other than re-experiencing it. But I think this game does have a little extra since there are stuff that wouldn't necessarily be prime for your first playthrough, but make more sense to try on a second or third playthrough. Things like the date or revisiting Fort Condor every time. I think that stuff garnishes an extra point. So three from you, four from me. Brittany, replayability. Um, I'd actually give it a four um, simply because of the length of the game. While I'd, I would like to go through and play it again, I can't imagine how much longer it's going to take to get all the extra in the game with how long it is just playing it straight through. Okay. That's reasonable. All right. So those are our scores. Awesome. I think I think this is probably one of the highest scoring games that we've reviewed so far. Like I think we generally um, are pretty harsh on some things. So I Except mean, for all the shit I'm nostalgic about. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. All right, so let's move on to quick fire questions. I know we missed that in the Paladin's Quest episode, but uh, I'm bringing it back. So first question, Nick, favorite boss? Uh. Fuck, man, god damn it. You had, uh, you had access to the show notes. You could have known ahead of time. Did I? I didn't see them anywhere. I was looking for them. But uh, I like uh, Materia Keeper because the design's kind of creepy. And he's one of those trick bosses where if you just got Vincent, you'd be like, oh, I want to use this new character and use his limit break. Except you really don't because they don't end up healing the dude. Yeah. Uh, and it'll make it more difficult on yourself, which is what happened to me the very first time I played. So I got tricked by that damn thing. Um, and. It's got a, a very, very strong attack called Trine, which you can learn on your enemy skill materia, which will help you immensely throughout most of the game. So, All right. Brittany, favorite boss? Um, I I liked Hojo. I, that's only that's all I can say. I don't really know. Okay, that's fine. It's a quick-fired question. You don't have to drag it out like Nick. Uh, my favorite boss is uh, fuck, Emerald Weapon. I, th- I really think that's a really cool fight. It's really difficult. Um, not as absurdly difficult as Ruby Weapon is. It's just challenging enough. I think it's like a perfect difficulty fight with awesome reward to it. Um, favorite team comp? Brittany, go. Uh, Red, Tifa, Cloud. Awesome. Nick? Um, Cloud, Red 13, Vincent. All right. I really enjoy... Uh, most times, I'm going to give you two. First, generally, it's Cloud, Sid, Vincent. But this time, I went with... Um, I used Yuffie a lot this playthrough, and Yuffie's actually amazing. So all you people that disregard Yuffie as a powerful character, her final her final weapon is just absurd. So Yuffie. Um, blue Mage or Enemy Skill? Nick? Uh, I'd rather have a Blue Mage. All right. I know Brittany doesn't understand the question. Um, blue Mage or Enemy Skill? Enemy skill. Blue Mage is a job in all uh, older Final Fantasies. A Blue Mage is typically the mage that learns its spells and abilities from monsters. So enemy skill materia is essentially the Blue Mage class filtered down into one materia. Okay. I've, then I I still would go with enemy skill. I, I enjoy the Blue Mage as well. It's just cool that that's an ca- entire concept for a whole character instead of being one materia in a slot in a corner of a character somewhere. Favorite mini game. I know we're going to talk about mini games in the next uh, bonus episode. Well, at least me and Nick will, you know. Um, favorite mini game, Nick. G bike. Brittany. Um, I guess the battle 
Because I, I didn't really play the mini games. So. Uh, so like the Fort Condor battle? Uh, no, no. Battle Arena? Yeah. Ba- uh, battle, battle Arena? Battle Arena. I guess it's like, technically a mini game. Uh, my favorite mini games, the the Mog mini game. Just kidding. It's snowboarding. I really love the snowboarding game. I love to punch you in the face. <laughs> uh, favorite materia combo, Nick. Go. Um. Well, you can always go with the classic of Final Attack Phoenix. Yeah, that's pretty useful. Uh, my favorite is uh, added effect Chocomog on your uh, weapon. It is so awesome early to just attack and paralyze things. It's great, Brittany. She's got nothing. Moving on. Uh, favorite character, Nick. Vincent, because I'm an emo asshole. So, Brittany. I like red. You like Red Thirteen? I I I have a preference for Sid because there's just so many times where he's just like, you know, this is ridiculous. Are you fucking kidding me? Like when you go up in the rocket, clouds like he mentions like, are we just gonna die? He's like, no, I never said anything about dying. There's an escape pod, you moron. Like it's great. It's fucking amazing. Uh, all right, one out of ten. How easy was this game to masturbate to, Nick? Boobs. All right, Brittany. Not at all. All right. I'm going to give it a three. Moving on. Uh, I mean, Tifa does use in the final sequence her boobs to keep herself up on the on the, uh, on the the cliff ledge there. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I was, I was, I was impressed. True. Boob anchors for the win, if that's what you're into. Okay. So the tips and tricks segment will be in the bonus episode. So if that's something you like to listen to, just listen to that episode, I guess. It's basically going to be an entire episode to itself. Um, our next game is Diablo. Our guest host for that will be Marcus. Um, some of you may know him from the Tabletop um, show. Um, I can't think of anything else I'd like to add about this whole kit and caboodle. Can, do you, Nick? You got anything? Um, not really. I mean, I guess if you haven't played it by now, definitely look it up. This, this would be a long show. Brenda, you got anything to add? Nope, not that I can think of. All right, so let me go ahead and bring us into the outro here. Bring that beautiful, beautiful ska music. All right. So, guys, we have a website. It's called therpgshow.com. You can go there. You can listen to episodes there. We have a live link that we haven't started using yet. You can. I, I think there's there's a forum thing there. Go there. Talk to us. Love you, Anderson. That whole fucking kitten caboodle. Um, you can email us at podcast at therpgshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at therpgpodcast. Check out our friend Retro Kel over at um, the Retro RPG Show. Um, I think that's it. No, no, it's not. Me and Nick are on the Playing With Power podcast, episode 10. Check us out there. Um, That is it. So until next time, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Hold it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Put your phone down. I know what you're going to do. You're going to change the podcast. No, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to go down to the show notes. You're going to see where it says, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You're going to click that Jimmy junk. You're going to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We'd like five stars, but if you don't think we're worth it, you can leave a four or even a three star. It's better if you leave feedback on that, though. But do it. Anyway, it's awesome. We love you for it. Next time.